Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards for you if you donate to the show. Just $1 a month gets you access to a library of over 20 bonus mini-episodes of the Smug Film Podcast. These mini-episodes will never be on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to get them is by donating through Patreon. And that's not all. You also get streaming copies of my two feature films, Shredder and Rehearsals. All that for just a dollar a month. If you donate $5 a month, you get all that. Plus, we'll do a plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your Twitter handle, your website, your whatever. If you donate $10 a month, we'll plug whatever you want on every single episode of the show. It's an incredible deal. They're all incredible deals. So once again, that's patreon.com slash smugfilm, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Jenna Ipcar. Hey. Hey, wearing a nice little Star Trek shirt. Yep. Got all of them on there. You got a... Wait, 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 wait. Let me see if I can name them because I'm not a Star Trek viewer. Let me try and name the uh, the characters. Of the, that's the original series. I got that right, right? Yes. It's the original one. <laughs> it's not too hard. Also, my my vision at this distance isn't the best. It's a little dark in this so corner. If I can yeah, if I can get these, that would say a lot for me as a person. Uh let's see. You got your Kirk, which you already mentioned. You got your uh Spock, I assume would be there too. I don't see him, but uh, he's probably there. You got your uh Sulu, right? Isn't that one of them? Yeah. You got your Sulu. Sulu. You got your Sulu, you got your um, the the German, no, not the Russian, uh, Chekhov. Jeez, German. Chekhov guy. Yep. And Uhuru. Uhura. Uhura. Thank you. And uh, uh, I got to tap out about there. Who am I missing? Scotty. Ah, Scotty. Right. McCoy. Uh, see, I knew those. Who's the little blonde lady? Christine Chapel. Who the fuck is Christine? Why is there just a person named Christine Chapel on there? I'm trying to remember if that's the actress's name or her <laughs> real name, actually. Okay. But she's like a do- she's a doctor, but she's not always. I thought like, you were the Star Trek person. Goes, you don't you know, know the name of a blonde lady? I can Google it. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I forgot. If you're at home and you know the name of a blonde lady, please send in a voicemail that I guess we won't even play because it's not even relevant to movies. <laughs> But Just uh, tweet at me and call me a no, terrible that's a, fan. That's a cool Star Trek shirt. Got all the characters. It's good for layering. Yeah. I a, was wearing a sweater, but it's really hot in here, even though it's cold outside. Yeah. I, I, I like to, you know, warm the indoors while it's cold outside. It's a it's a tradition <laughs> during the winter months. <laughs> and the, when it's cold outside, I like to keep it warm indoors. Huh. It's my strategy. Huh. You know. Interesting. All right. So today... We are talking about scary stuff, horror stuff in movies that aren't necessarily horror movies. Because for this whole month, we've been talking about 
horror movies on the podcast. But there's a lot of like great scary stuff in just regular old movies because, of course, with all genres, they all kind of blend together and they kind of ape things from each other. In particular, I think sci-fi tends to grab from horror a lot to the point that like if I'm looking for the movie Communion, I have to go into the sci-fi section if I'm going to find it. But that movie is scary as shit, right? Ruined my childhood. (laughs) Yeah, that's like that's a straight up horror movie. But you always find it in the sci-fi section. It's weird. Like anything to do with aliens or whatever, you find it in the sci-fi section, even if it's if it's a scary as fuck movie, it seems. And like, uh, you know, Alien is like a horror movie and Aliens is more of like an action movie. But there's like, I remember distinctly like in Aliens, that part in the beginning where you got Paul Reiser like putting his face near like the fucking glass thing where like there's the alien in it and then there's like a jump scare where like it goes against the glass like that's a horror thing right and that that moment like scared me as a child like to no end you never put your face next to a thing again I never I never put my face next to an alien ever again after that that was that was it I was like I'm not putting my face near aliens anymore it ruins childhoods. Yeah. So let's start with sci-fi because my whole theory, and I may be in the minority with this, but because it's a pet theory, I haven't had it in my head very long. So I don't even know, know if I fully believe it. But I think at its core, sci-fi is pretty nerdy and pretty niche. So it has to grab elements from other genres in order to make it interesting or even like able to be accessible by people that aren't necessarily into that stuff. So you find sci-fi often having to grab action elements and suspense elements and horror elements just to keep it relevant and interesting to somebody who's not just a total fucking nerd. Because if you you look at like sci-fi, like mostly devoid of that, you talk about like Primer or something like that. And even Primer has to grab certain elements in order to not fucking bore the pants off of you. But you still bar the pants off me. Yeah, you look at specific pure sci-fi, which I would say Primer is up the alley of pretty closely as far as like a contemporary thing. It's it's bone fucking dry because sci-fi is fucking boring. Like the idea of like science fiction, it just sounds fucking boring. It's like um, it's like reading those like RPG books where like you know it's you're you're not even reading a story. You're just reading like what you're supposed to do with like stats or whatever, you know? Right, like reading a textbook. Yeah, it's like reading a a textbook about something fictional. You know, that's that's where sci-fi is, I think, in its purest form. We're so like brainwashed by how sci-fi has grabbed from other genres that we're not even thinking of like in our heads conceptually what sci-fi would be devoid of all that. And I think it would be closer to like those fucking like rule books of like RPG or whatever. Like in its purest form. Like I said, there's a very pet theory of mine. It hasn't been in my head longer than 20 minutes. But So I'm gonna put it out here. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's my that's my theory, I would say. But all not that it's a bad thing, because all genres tend to grab from uh from other genres and like I said, horror, there's some scary fucking shit in movies that aren't considered horror movies. Jenna, what's something uh, scary in a non-horror movie that's uh, scared you? Well, you know what I watched recently was, to shift gears a bit, was a documentary called Command and Control, which was really interesting. 
and fascinating and terrifying, which <laughs> it's about the, the, the uh, Damascus uh, incident, which happened in Arkansas in 1980, where a Titan II uh, nuclear missile, as we have scattered around the U.S. in the thousands uh, from the Cold War and earlier from like, you know, World War II, uh, basically almost exploded and blew up like most of Arkansas. (laughs) Jeez, really? And what's really fascinating, it basically, this incident happened, it was uh, was 1980, and it was this base that was run by, you know, a bunch of 20-year-olds that just, you know, that was their job at college or at a high school, maybe. I have to remember now. And basically one guy came in with a wrench to just do a, you know, quick maintenance on this missile, (laughs) and the socket from the wrench fell. At, you know, total just mistake, mishap. The socket fell and it fell, you know, these missiles are like eight stories high. It fell the entire length, bounced and then pierced the missile. Jesus. So it caused this critical error because like, you know, it's set off like basically stage one of these bombs, which are sort of made up of like, you know, two two uh, fuel uh, containers and then they have the nuke sitting on the, the nose of it. And so they started this critical meltdown essentially and what was just fascinating about this movie, I mean, here you have on one hand, just like a bunch of 20 year olds that are, you know, have are taking care of a nuke. Right. <laughs> like that, number that one. already in and of itself is scary. <laughs> and they're the experts. That's what was interesting. Like mm. they were the experts and these were the people. And I think that part of why and they interview all the guys that were there, you know, and the part of why I think that, you know, they chose to sort of have people so young is that they all had to, and they said this, they had to be ready to press a button at any moment and blow up, you know, millions of people in Russia, mm. you know, like that's what their job was. So they needed like a fuck it, like young attitude to it. Yeah. I mean, like who else do you really get, you know, like whenever you need, you know, soldiers, you know, anyone to, to sort of go out there right. and, and sort of recklessly kill people. Like it's typically young people, right? They're, you know, they, they don't have the experience or the, you know, I don't know. It's just that they were totally okay with it and they were okay with it. And the guys all say like, yep, I was ready to, you know, that was, didn't, didn't matter to me. And yet you have this incident where, you know, people they knew died and they're all haunted for like the rest of their lives, totally ruined. You know, like the, the poor fucking guy who dropped that socket, he says every single day he can't, all he does is he sees it fall. Jesus. You know, and it was like, in the way that he was saying it was like, He's not weeping while he's saying this. You know, there's like this sort of serenity, like, you know, forced happiness. But like, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a damaged dude, you know? Yeah. Like, so that was terrifying. Also, had the nuke, I mean, you know, spoiler, it's not really a spoiler. Obviously, Arkansas didn't get nuked. Yeah, breaking news. <laughs> Arkansas was not demolished by this. But had this missile exploded uh, and the nuke been set off, which... P.S. It didn't get set off because of just one safety measure, Mm. which they also mentioned that incident that happened in the 60s in North Carolina where a hydrogen bomb, uh, like a plane blew up, oh, flying, because we used to have just bombs flying around just in case. Mm -hmm. And the plane blew up and the bomb fell into North Carolina. And that also, that bomb just fell and the nuke didn't go off. And they show this guy in this documentary, he's holding up a light switch. He goes, you see this like on off switch? That's what caused that nuke not to go off. Jesus. It's like, this is one safety measure. 
And with this one, with Damascus, like had this nuke gone off, it would have exploded. And it was like three times as, as worse as what we dropped on like Hiroshima and, uh, you know, like, you know, um, just terrible, horrible bomb here. He said, had it gone off, it would have exploded to the point all the way from Little Rock, which had the DNC at the time happening, where mm. uh, Governor Clinton was at. So that's also just interesting. It's like alternate history. Yeah, it's like, what timeline would that be like? Right, like, what the fuck? The other thing about it is like, you know, at the end of this sort of incident that happens, which could have gone really terrible and went like pretty okay, and that was due to people that like made the effort, you know, like they were desperately trying to stop this until like literally it explodes. And, you know, yet then the sort of response to it is sort of like, well, it's human error and to blame the people. But, you know, all these people were following a protocol. And what's the point of protocol if it doesn't take account for human error? You know, so and then sort of the takeaway from this movie is kind of like and, and one guy even says or this documentary, rather, one guy even says, you know, well, it, this, these have happened hundreds of times already, and it's inevitable that they will happen again. <laughs> so it's kind of like looking into a, a crystal ball. It's like going to a psychic and having them be like, hey, you know, you're going to die on this day in like, you know, 30 years, like peace. Right. Like, that's how I felt watching this movie. You're just like, you're like, oh, my God, like, this is it. Like, why Why are we even, you know, why am I leaving the house? Yeah, documentaries can be really scary because there's, I mean, there's nothing scarier than like a real scary event told well, you know, like a, a good documentary about something that's just inherently scary that actually happened. Like, how can you even top that? Like fucking the Paradise Lost trilogy. That's scary as shit, you know? I will just say real quick as a side note to that, I wrote a review of Command and Control after I saw it on Flickster, mm-hmm. which I use. <laughs> Probably I'm the only one left. A Rotten Tomatoes, same thing. And I had someone message me on Facebook out of the blue, total stranger. And he says, I read your review for Command and Control. When I was 16, a psychic told me that I was going to die in my 50s. Now I'm in my 60s. That's, that's like just a creepy <laughs> message just in general. Yeah. Well, I replied like, well, if, you know, the universe is just the psychic died in their 50s. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, True. cool. Like, shout out to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Paradise Lost, definitely just like one of the scariest things you can think of happening to yourself is to be, you know, imprisoned for life or sentenced to death for something you didn't do that you had no, nothing to do with whatsoever. You know, that's everybody's fear is being locked up for something that for for essentially no reason at all. And so for Paradise Lost, you're watching over the course of three movies, this play out. You're watching some of these worst fear play out for these three framed individuals. And it kind of they they use horror imagery and they use like Metallica throughout it. And they definitely do create like a kind of dark vibe with it fitting of course but that movie is i mean those movies are are very unnerving especially the stuff in the second one with one of the uh the dads of one of the victims is just like scary as shit to like almost like a david lynchian level and seeing him and seeing him so convinced that these innocent people uh did what they allegedly did which of course they didn't 
the idea of like this this perfect scary monster like human monster who can't even fathom what what reality is and is just like so content with like these people being away and has no frame of reference for like what the actual you know crime was because it's still of course it's unsolved but spoiler alert we kind of understand a framework that makes sense now as far as like who probably did do it there's no you know it's probably that person is never going to be in jail or whatever but it's it's scary as shit to see this this person that is so clearly frightening uh be so content with these three people that are so clearly innocent being in jail and you're wondering like well why isn't that monster dude in jail because something's up here and so that second one is is really really scary in that regard but yeah documentaries in general you know anything about something scary anything about like a crime or whatever it's definitely gonna unnerve you to the point where like you can watch these in october you can watch these around halloween if you want to get the heebie-jeebies or whatever yeah i feel like maybe and this is my half-ass theory i'm gonna throw out here is that maybe what the sort of definition even of these horror non-horror movies is just like that focus on the loss of control in general Mm -hmm. like that's terrifying it's a terrifying concept and actually you know you you talking about that reminds me of a you know even the amanda knox documentary that came out on netflix is you know it was at least interesting to watch you know especially with this whole everyone's obsession with making of a murderer is i think actually pretty terrifying not a movie but um you know or even like uh, the thin blue line you know, mm-hmm. it's a creepy fucking, it's just the concept of like listening to these people sort of serenely talk about something that happened and, and just, you know, sort of being okay with it. You know, it's sort of like, well, now, yeah, especially with Thin Blue Line, like, you know, now I'm locked up. Yep. That's how it goes. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. you know, it's documentary now, by the way, have, did you see the, uh, their, their takeoff on that? No, I haven't. What, what did they do amazing. with it? They basically, instead of like the, 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 the innocent guy essentially well, is like Woody we should, Allen. We should explain doctory, documentary now is the um, Fred, Fred Armisen, Armisen and Bill Hader. Yeah, it's uh, an IFC series where they do like kind of like skits based on uh, actual documentaries. Right, yeah. yeah. But it basically that they put like a, a sort of Woody Allen jazz lover uh-huh. in the place of the innocent guy <laughs> and like just that alone. And then they changed the crime, but I, w- I don't want to spoil that. But that was hilarious. But both of the, I mean, even like the the thing with the Amanda Knox, I found it more sort of upsetting than uh, scary. But I, I think it's sort of interesting to sort of put in there anyhow, because it is a sort of story about like, here's how quickly things can go out of control. And even if you want to interpret, I mean, I think I've, you know, I've actually been following that case and I kind of think she's innocent anyhow. But, you know, even if you thought she was guilty, I think you could still watch that and think how creepy that she could get away with it, you know? Yeah, like it's, you can it's, interpret there's it two sides way. to that coin. That's true. That's like with like the Central Park Five documentary or oh, whatever. Right. Like if you think they did it, it's scary for certain reasons. And if you think they didn't do it, it's scary for other reasons. Like it's scary any way you slice it. It's uh, you know, it's it's tragic any way you slice it. You know, it's tragic right. if they did it, it's tragic if they didn't. And also like I think any anybody can relate to this is stuff that you see as a kid. You know, not necessarily horror stuff. And I say not necessarily you staying up and like watching like Friday the 13th or whatever, but just watching like kids movies. There's stuff that can really fuck you up. Oh, totally. 
I mean, I, everybody had like the, I guess the most popular one is the large Marge moment in uh, <laughs> yeah. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That's, that's, that's iconic. And that's, that's probably where people's minds are going when I'm, as I approach this topic, but there's definitely like other stuff too. I remember um, Home Alone with like the furnace in the basement and they really fucking like, because Kevin is like scared of it, you know, they go into like a weird, like a uh, surreal moment where it's kind of laughing at him and like the furnace is like, oh, 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 you know, like moving up and down. That's like a scary fucking moment. That was scary even when I was a kid. And like, I mean, the rest of the movie is so, uh, you know, innocent in that regard. There's no like a surreal other moment in the film. So I think it almost makes it stick out even more because it's like suddenly like in this in this movie that confines to like the rules of reality suddenly there's like this slipping away of reality for like a very specific moment and so yeah moments like that especially in kids movies where like you feel like you know the rules and then the rules are suddenly broken for like a horror effect and it's like i always wonder like why are they even in there like why do you even but like who is that for because it seems like its only purpose is to scar <laughs> children. <kids. laughs> so it's like who what moment is like who's who's going into it for that? Like I understand the thing of in kids' movies there will be jokes that only adults get. Whether it be something that's a little risque or it's like a reference to something that only adults would know the reference to, like some Johnny Carson thing or whatever, you don't know. But um like, I wonder who the fuck that's for. Is it really just as sadistic as, hey, this will scare kids? Because it, it's not being scared in like a good way. It's just something that like haunts you and is like, oh man, I remember that moment where like I was watching Pee Wee's Big Adventure and all of a sudden that like scary claymation face came out of nowhere. It's like nobody looks back on that fondly. Like it's fun to bond over, I guess, as like a scary moment. Like, oh, we all remember that. But beyond that, it's like, who the fuck is it for? I think I feel like it's like the director working out their own issues on you. You know, like yeah, it feels, this happened to me and now it's happening to you. Well, it feels like it's almost like the ring. It's almost like, why? Are you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, why are you in the ring? Why are you perpetuating? Because they still I mean, I'm not watching like all the kids movies that come out, but I assume that's still a thing. I'm sure in kids movies, they still like occasionally there'll be a peppered in like a thing that will scare a fucking kid. My sister and I used to be terrified of the brave little toaster. Oh yeah. But she was terrified of when the cars got crushed. It was like, that was like the least scary part of that. Movie. Yeah. Actually, you know what scared me was a uh, uh, Indiana Jones with the face melt. Well, yeah, that's uh but that was scary. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a, a kid's movie, you know, but that's uh mm, yeah, I guess not. It's like you watch it as a kid, but you know that you're watching uh, something that's, at least mostly for adults as well. Uh, high schoolers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But also like um, with kids movies. Oh, and also Toy Story 3, right? Well, there was that moment. Toy Story 1. Yeah, well, Toy Story 1 for sure. <laughs> but Toy Story 3, there was that moment where like the toys are like holding each other and they're like about to go into like the giant furnace and they're like being okay with dying and they're like, well, we're all going to die. At least we're together or whatever. Like, that's fucking scary as shit. I Jesus. Think, you don't remember that part? I didn't even see the third one. Dude, there's a part where it's like they're all on this conveyor belt. And it isn't like a dream sequence or anything. It's not like make-believe or whatever. It's like all the toys are like about to be dropped into this like giant furnace. And there's seemingly no way for them to get out of it. Like they try everything and they can't. 
And so like all the toys are like holding each other and they're like, well, we're all going to die, but at least we're together. That's and awful. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I hate Toy Story 3 for that and many other reasons. I feel like it's just <laughs> needless. Like stuff like that is just like it's unnecessary. It's manipulative. Yeah. yeah. It's a very manipulative and weird movie where like it, it feels like two movies thrown together and the parts that people say like, oh, Toy Story 3 was brilliant. Like the ending, I cried. The stuff that they're talking about of Toy Story 3 that they find so affecting is like, it probably amounts to like 10 minutes of uh, actual footage. You know, it's like with Up where people yeah, like say, say up. people say Up is like, a, it's like a masterpiece. It's like you're talking about a 10 minute, essentially a short film tacked on to a really forgettable 70 minute movie after it. With a great dog character. Good dog character for sure. But yeah, but that's it. I don't I, remember anything else except look, my, for the dog. <laughs> my fucking theory is that, that Pixar is now just in the making a short business and tacking on extra runtime to that. They're like, all right, if we can make 10 minutes of something memorable in each one of these, then people will still like them even if they're kind I just of shit. Kinda, I feel like they're like the band that, you know, they planned out their first five albums and now they're just using B-sides. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they're phoning it in and people they have enough of a, fan base that everyone's like yeah but you, you kind of know you're like eh, well it's eh. like they were the they they definitely present themselves as like the alternative to the dreamworks model of sequel 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 like milk it milk it milk it and then i guess at a certain point they realize well dreamworks is really onto something you know <laughs> they're staying afloat you're doing really well financially as far as everything goes and we're not so maybe we have to do what they do and we can pretend like uh, it's okay when we do it. Maybe we can get away with it, which I, I think they have because people even people are like, oh, Incredibles 2, I can't wait. And it's like, really? It's going to be a second one. Yeah, Incredibles fucking 2 is coming out next year or the year after. I mean, we've, we've veered off track from our... Uh, our, our initial topic. <laughs> I was going to say, most <laughs> smug film talks, it's like back to our roots is just dissing on Pixar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially Toy Story 3. Yeah. I mean, well, that's one of the things that united us, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think it's not our first iTunes review with someone like, they hate Toy Story 3. Love these guys. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite God bless you. iTunes reviews we ever got. <laughs> Who just was into us solely because all of us hated uh toy story <laughs> yeah, three that's the only reason also i remember like there was one other uniting factor that we realized that like for all the movies that that we like that others of us don't like i think we figured out at a certain point that every single one of us didn't like pacific rim which was like a, a big realization like there are these certain linchpin movies like toy story three or um pacific rim where it's like it's like wow they they can all unite around these certain movies like that they're all fucking bad they all think they're are bad so yeah it's like all we all have different takes on movies clearly greg's take is different from john's take my take is different from your take but we can all get together around a campfire and just fucking hate <laughs> pacific rim and toy story 3 but uh let's bring it back to the the initial topic because honestly like horror movies aren't for everybody but people want to get into the spirit of, of, of horror and maybe they don't want to sit sit down for an entire horror movie and maybe they want to sit down for something with just a, a, a slightly unnerving 
element to it, like just an air of like, uh, but they don't want to deal with like fucking like ghosts jumping out or whatever. That's me. That person's me. If you guys remember yeah. from last year uh, for our Halloween stuff is that I typically don't like these sort of cliche horror movies that everyone loves. Right. I like some of it, but I also get scared super easily for no reason. And it's just feeds. It just feels needless. Well, to me, unless I, there's a good payoff, if there's a good plot, yeah. if it looks beautiful, I'll watch them. But I would say like, uh, you know, I love horror. I, I, I adore it as a genre. I've been watching horror all month. I've been enjoying myself silly, but to me, a movie that actually scares me like straight through would be a movie like the hunt, you know, with uh, Mads Mikkelsen or, or whatever the, uh, Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah. Film. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. And that scared me throughout. Like that kept me on edge. That's not a horror movie per se. I can't remember the last time I was genuinely scared by a horror movie, but that one scared me. And that's just a drama. Like it would, if right. you were looking for it in a, in a uh, video store, you'd have to go into like the drama foreign, foreign film or drama. Yeah, or- foreign film or, or or drama, and yeah, that's like a scary fucking movie. It's just a dude wrongfully accused of, uh, or actually, we don't even necessarily know at that point, but is accused of a crime with with. Uh, you know, very serious ramifications and it's about the town turning on him. It's a very scary thought, you know? Like, yeah, as loss, we were, it's also loss of control. Yeah, as we were talking about with documentaries, it's it's so the idea of being accused of something you didn't do is so frightening. And seeing the way that it was portrayed, especially in the hunt, where it was you saw how certain things people said were misremembered like right from the get go. And we're and just blew up and it's just scary to think of something like slowly growing from nothing and is eventually ruining uh, somebody's life. You know, when I saw that movie, I saw it in theaters and and the director was there and he was giving a you know Q and A and he said that when he was making the movie and I think that's why it was so effective was he was looking into actual you know. Uh, crimes and files about like what what do children say when they accuse somebody of being uh, you know of, of molesting them or you know of of being creepy and sort of seeing you know and, and also finding you know these these cases where you have multiple children accusing somebody of something and then they end up getting actually proved innocent and it ended up being right. this sort of weird like you know follow the leader scenario which isn't to say that there are not a ton of child molesters out there. Of course. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Actually, that reminds me too of a, a Force Majeure, which is a Swedish film mm. close enough to Denmark. And <laughs> all of our Swedish fans now angrily tweet me, <laughs> um, which I thought was uh, pretty interesting. It's not, it wasn't, you know, it's really what was, and I think the reason I can bring it up here is because it's about fear and it's about sort of, uh, you know, what, how f- in the moment of terror, your true character gets revealed or what is the definition of true character? Is it who you are in a moment of terror or is it who you are on a day-to-day basis? And you know, the plot of a force majeure is basically that a family goes on a ski trip and they're all sitting in the hotel and they're having controlled explosions on the mountain and uh, an avalanche happens. And they think at first like, Oh, it's just like, you know, this is fun. And then they realize, Oh shit, it's an avalanche. And in that moment, the mother grabs their two young children, but the father grabs his cell phone and and runs, you know, and it ends up being nothing. It ends up being just like powder. Mm. 
but it looked, it looked bad. And so then he comes back and then now the wife like can't deal with him. Right. And so the, the movie really is about dealing with this, you know, the father whose reaction is denial. And that's what I really liked about it. It's a very like, it's a very intimate movie. It's very like serene actually, because they're on this beautiful ski resort and it's very, uh, you know, sort of introspective and it deals with a lot of just very real reactions. Like the father is kind of like, what? No, I, d- I didn't do that. You know, whereas the wife doesn't want to actually confront him. Yeah. She like doesn't know, like, did I misremember it? But I didn't, you know. And I think where we're coming to here, which is, I guess, my big realization with this all is that in actuality, drama has the potential to be the scariest genre. Because when you sit down to a drama you kind of know that you're in for something that isn't going to be funny because you're not sitting down to a comedy. Uh, so that part of your brain isn't firing and expecting certain things. So you sit down, you never really know how far a drama is going to go. Whereas with a horror movie, you know, you see certain shots creep up and you're like, all right, well, I've seen that shot before. I know that that shot means, you know, they they went a little wide, so something's going to come out from here. Or I I hear the music. I know that this is going to happen. You know, horror gets very predictable, whereas drama, you don't really know how far something's going to go, especially with like, uh, you know, Michael Haneke, Funny Games, I would say, is, is certainly a horror movie. But his other stuff, his more dramatic stuff, I find it very scary. Like uh, the white ribbon, I think is, you know, I was pretty much scared for the whole movie just because I didn't, I never know how far he's going to go. I never know if he's going to do something a little bit more, I'm sorry, do a film that's a little bit more just a straight up drama or if he's going to throw in some scary shit here and there. Well, you know, it's what was interesting too about Force Majeure was that actually, it is sort of a black comedy. It is funny. It's uncomfortable and it's, it's weird, but I think what kind of lingers, and this is, you know, part of this too, and what makes, I think any good horror, any good movie in general, is that it leaves you with something to think about and to reflect upon yourself, right? Because, you know, part of this is like, there's a, there's a great part of the movie where they discuss what makes a hero. And they're like, well, as a hero made, is that is the person who in that moment of terror doesn't run? Is that, that's what defines a hero? Or is it the person who on a day-to-day basis you know, does yeah, good. If, if 90% of the time he's a good dad and he's chill and he's, he's awesome. Like, should he really be judged for that snap judgment? And, and should you judge yourself? Yeah. And so it's also interesting. It's like, you know, cause you'll, you'll leave the movie kind of thinking like, what would I do? You know, like, and that's, you know, you see in the news, you know, like you see things happen and you see people's reactions to these, uh, you know, to any horrific event, Yeah. you know, where, you know, you think you're going to die or people do die. And, you know, then, you know, I don't know. It just makes you think about like the things where people get trampled on, you know, and who's the one trampling and are they, are they bad guys? You know, like that's sort of it. And so it's sort of like, eventually you find yourself going down this rabbit hole of like, you know, shit, like, am I really a bad person? I think dramas, dramas, the genre, that's the most neutral starting point. I would say, you know, when people talk about like genre fiction or whatever, they mean like, suspense or they they mean sci-fi or they mean horror action or whatever when somebody says genre they mean like specific to one particular area where drama it's it's almost like a white page it's like you don't know what's necessarily going to be written on there and i think that 
that makes it have the the most potential to get really scary because it it sets you up for nothing you know it sets it it's not setting up you up for anything you don't know what you're getting into so yeah that's that would be my conclusion is that if you really want to be scared you know it's not horror movies necessarily that you should avoid people always are like oh horror movies scare the shit out of me once you get into the rhythm of them they aren't particularly scary because you see certain enough types of horror and you know where certain things are going to go you understand the patterns you know you may be unnerved by certain imagery but as far as uh being legitimately scared or screaming or like flinching or whatever that doesn't really happen to me anymore it hasn't happened to me for ages because i just i saw enough different types of horror that i i tend to know what to expect Whereas drama, you're always unprepared for, you know? I think it's interesting that there are those people that love to watch horror because they find it sort of comforting in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and well, then it's, it isn't it's scary, so but they won't watch the drama that's more realistic because it's too heavy for them. Exactly. But it, like, I kind of feel like they're all, it's all too much for me. I'm worried about aliens and nukes <laughs> and, you know, what I'm going to do in a moment of terror. <laughs> yeah. Well said. All right, we're going to we're going to go to a break and then we we have a little voicemail we're going to play and we're going to talk about. So uh stick with us and uh see you soon. Bye-bye. Well, no, not bye-bye. See ya. I I saved the bye-bye for the end usually. So just a just a little see ya. See you soon. And now, Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood. To terrorize y'all's neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found. Without the soul for getting down. Must stand and face the hounds of hell. And rot inside a corpse's shell. The phallus stench is in the air. The funk of forty thousand years. And grisly ghouls from every tomb. Are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver. For no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. Ha 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 ha. This has been a robot reenactment. Hello, Smug Film fans. Leave us a question or a comment for Smug Film to play on the show by calling the following voicemail number 718 395. 9711. Once again, that's 718-395-9711. We look forward to hearing from you, you lovely, lovely people. Hello, I am the Hunky Smug Film Sponsor Plug Man. I'm here to tell you about the fine people who support the Smug Film Podcast through Patreon. You all should check out Bobby Slow on Twitter. He's a very funny and good man who tweets funny and good things and is worthy of your love. And he has a really good Twitter ratio of followers to following. That's impressive. Once again, that's Bobby, slow, on Twitter. You should also check out Minor Key Games. Go on over to MinorKeyGames.com and check out these awesome computer games made by David and Kyle Pittman. Two brothers that make great video games with an old school feel. Cody hates new video games for the most part, but he enjoys the heck out of these. Once again, that's MinorKeyGames.com. Also, be sure to check out Room Full of Spoons, Rick Harper's documentary about the cult classic film The Room. 
It's a great documentary that we all love here as Smug Film, and go to roomfullofspoons.com to find out when it's coming to your city. Thank you for listening to my hunky voice, and thank you all who have donated to the show. And if you would like to be plugged on the show, please head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm and donate. And now, back to the episode. And we are back. Let's check out the voicemail. Hello, Smart Film Podcast. My name is Mike, and um, I've been a uh, big fan of you since I discovered it in like the late summer. And uh, I have a question for you guys. I really enjoyed listening to some of your horror film discussion in the October episodes. And I was wondering what you guys thought was like the last great gothic horror movie, because I've just been thinking, I really can't think... You know, one, of one that's been really creative or has tried to do anything new. I really can't think of one in a long time. And so I'd like to hear your opinion on that. And if you guys be interested and put on the director's hat, what needs to be in a new gothic horror film in order for it to be good or to, you know, rightly pay homage to the classic ones? Uh, I'd love to hear your answer for it. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Thank you very much. Glad you liked the show. You might not like it after my suggestion. <laughs> I was going to say, this guy, he's just this is for John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely a question geared towards John D'Amico. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry he's not here today. But, but I, uh, I agree with him, I want to say. I, the, there's so much formulaic bullshit, and it's such a bummer because gothic horror, it can be great yeah. in book form. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the movies have been such a letdown. Well, I will say then, and I will, uh, I don't know, he, I, he's going to hate me after this, but... <laughs> I really, really, really like Tim Burton's Dark Shadows. <laughs> I think it's a really good movie. Uh, I think it was very poorly marketed to the point that I avoided it until like, I guess maybe six months ago or something where I, I just gave it a shot. I was just like, yeah, might as well try this movie. Not expecting anything, expecting to basically hate watch it for 10 minutes and then turn it off. I was fucking glued from the start. I thought it was brilliant. I like the uh, the old Dark Shadows stuff. I don't know if this listener is, has watched Dark Shadows. I think it's got 3,000 episodes or whatever. The soap opera that ran from like uh, the 50s through 70s, maybe even into the 80s. But that, that stuff's really good. If you want gothic horror, if you want like... Uh, in particular, if you're an organ fan, if you like... Uh, you know, the, when like people are talking and it like gets a little eerie or whatever. It's hard to do an impression of an organ. Only an <laughs> organ kind of sounds like an organ. But you know what I mean, where they start like playing around on the you organ. You just have to triple talking. your voice after this. You yeah, know, or like something. Five of them. Get some auto tuner or, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you like Gothic Horror and you haven't watched Dark Shadows, you're, you're kind of, you know, remiss in your duties because... It's really good. It's not It's not junky. I mean, it, it's junky in the right ways, I would say. They were probably shooting like three or four in a given day. They were looking at the scripts like right before they were doing them or they were doing them off cue cards. But I like that immediacy. And I like the fact that, you know, they have like one take for most of these scenes. So like if they flub a line, they just keep it in. It, it's an interesting, compelling story and it's a great mood. And Dark Shadows really should be up there as far as when people talk about like great television it's always so focused on the now it's always focused on like hbo stuff of the last 10 years 
or like prestige uh, cable stuff. They're great classic television shows. Very influential, of course. Twilight Zone, Honeymooners, all the ones everybody knows. But there are great forgotten ones like Dark Shadows. It's it's a very good TV program. Even if you don't like soap operas, it's a way in, I would say. There are certain soap operas, there's a way in. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, brilliant show. One of my favorite shows of all time. Because it's kind of like a commentary on soaps at the same time. And it is very much just like a domestic uh, drama there's a way in and it's also it's very funny very darkly funny that's your way into watching a soap opera so if you want to sit down for 300 some odd episodes mary hartman it'll blow your goddamn mind but in particular this listener is looking for uh, gothic horror so i would say dark shadows the actual original series but also that fucking tim burton dark shadows i really really like it it's a different vibe from the original dark shadows which means I don't know what the fuck uh, target audience they thought this movie was going to have because right away you're pissing off any fan of Dark Shadows. And the other half of the audience is people that have never heard of Dark Shadows whatsoever. So everything they're seeing, they're just confused by. They're like, who are all these weird people? Why is any of this happening? There's like no way into that movie. But I fucking sat down. I fucking dug every second of that movie. I think it's I think it's his best film since his early stuff. I I'm really glad I watched it. I'm glad I didn't just avoid it forever because it's it's one of my favorite Tim Burton films. I made you watch it recently. I know you didn't like it as much as I, but what, was there stuff you liked in it? Did you find it worthwhile? I actually really liked the first like half of the movie, like the first 15 minutes or so. I actually really loved the setup. Isn't that great? It Wasn't was actually that... better. Yeah, it was yeah. way better than I expected. It sets up a lot of information in a very short amount of time and it rivets you like you're you're in it. You're like, all right, I'm accepting the rules of this world. Like it, yeah, that, it was like sure, that's fine. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> that segment, it's like a segment like right before the credits too. It's like there's just yeah. like a chunk where it's just like throwing information at you and throwing things that have happened. It's like this prologue thing that I think is really expertly done to the point where like when you're finally thrown into the 1970s, you feel like you've seen enough that you you're just on board. You're like, all right, I'm 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 wherever this movie's going, I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah, it just, it, for me, it ran out of steam pretty quickly. It like, and it has its moments, but then, yeah, it's sort of, it's a little uneven in tone and then stuff like there's this weird, there's focuses on characters that they just, they drop off and then pick up like in the end and you're like, why? Like what? You know, that's sort of like, I, I found it inconsistent overall, but I have to say I didn't regret watching it. Yeah, it's not. It was, it was actually fine. It was like watchable. It just wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. It's not but what you would think it would be. It's uh, you, It was definitely marketed horribly. Totally horribly. And if you're thinking, you know, of course, Johnny Depp, Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, I've I'm seen, sick of them. I've seen this a million <laughs> times before. Why do I need to see Dark Shadows? He's he's a little different in it. Like he he's very good. I I would say it's one of Johnny Depp's best performances in a while. I get so sick of Johnny Depp because of Tim Burton, and then you forget that Johnny Depp actually had a time where he was a pretty good actor. He's good in this man, and Helen Baum Carter's funny in it, and it's it's just like a very weird, funny movie. It's like Tim Burton's sense of humor was never really my favorite thing about Tim Burton. I I appreciated more like 
surrounding aspects. I, I didn't really necessarily like the movie per se. I'm, I'm, I liked certain imagery, like Beetlejuice. I don't think is funny. I don't think is that interesting, but I like Michael Keaton in it and I like some imagery from it. But this one, I was like totally on board with like all the humor. I thought it was really fucking funny. I thought it was just ridiculous and great. So it's not a, you know, it's it's gothic horror as far as the story being told, but it's it's borrowing from a lot of different other areas. And it's just like a very funny, it's like if somebody can get down with like Galaxy Quest and be like, oh, Galaxy Quest is like one of the best like sci-fi movies. Oh yeah, 100%. I'd be like, then you can get down with Dark Shadows. It's just, that's the total equivalent. Agree. Right? You're, you're so right. It's, it's the Galaxy Quest of gothic horror. I'm declaring it now. Remember, I'm the guy who declared uh, Hercules, the Dwayne Johnson one, as a uh, agnostic sword and sandal movie. I'm declaring it right now. Dark Shadows, the Tim Burton one, it is, like is the Quest. Galaxy Quest of Gothic Horror. Bam. You're going to hear that other places, but that the, right this moment is where it, it started, damn it. So uh, please, if you're listening, just check out that Dark Shadows one. What's some, uh, what's some other stuff he should check out, Jenna? I, you know, I'm, I'm really on the, it's hard because I feel like I can give you a bunch of movies where I like aspects of them, but I didn't love the movie. And so like, it's not really a terrible, you know, like Crimson Peak. Okay. Crimson Peak came out recently, Del Toro movie, and it's beautiful in some ways. Like there's some really great scenes and it has a great setup and it has an interesting premise. And then it just totally like the plot, I think just gets so cliche and hacky. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, by the end, I was like waiting for it to be done. Yeah, I don't think that's a good one, but, but I it love does the, have elements. The yeah. costumes are beautiful in that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, I love, there's like a scene where there's these vats of things and, and like, or things when they're in the snow. Like, that's really beautiful. And it was visually interesting to look at. So like, in a way, I would say, you know what, if you like that sort of, if you like that genre, you like, you might like Crimson Peak. I know John liked Crimson Peak, actually. That's one of his favorites. Yeah. And, and it I didn't can't, do it for me. Yeah. But. I can't get down with that, but uh, it does have elements that are nice. It's like, it's not a movie I like by any stretch, but there are stylistic choices that I think were well done. I feel that way too about the Fearless Vampire Killers, the Polanski movie, mm-hmm. where like, I honestly kind of hate that movie, but at the same time, there's some really, the set, some of the sets are beautiful. Uh, you know, Sharon Tate is pretty easy on the eyes and, uh, you know, like just in general, it's sort of a very cartoony version of this sort of Victorian, like horror, Dracula, whatever, you know, like. And so in the end, it's kind of also like in the end, I didn't love it at all, but I liked I liked to look at it. It was like it wasn't bad. Yeah. But I don't know. I think actually if I for like a sort of new age gothic horror film that isn't really a terribly new anymore, I'd say The Changeling from 1980. Sure. Have you seen that? You know, it's like it's modern take on a sort of classic sort of tale with, you know, the pacing's a bit rough now, but like it in the end delivers it's creepy it's interesting there it really are psycho- psychological thriller aspect to it there really aren't much these days it's like it's if you know you're not like it's not like you're missing big ones or anything like there's you would hear of one if there was a good one it's kind of like there's a there's just not many 
you know? Yeah, especially just for modern stuff. I mean, like, you know, like, good, I mean, like, if you just want good movies, but I'm sure you've seen these, you right. know, it's like to, to suggest stuff if you already like the genre. I can't, I can't imagine I could come up with something you haven't seen, but like, you know, yeah. House on Haunted Hill is great. Well, what, <laughs> you know, as far as the second part of his question about, you know, what, what we think a new gothic horror movie needs, you know, throwing on a director's hat, we, we're in charge here. Uh, what would we do? I'll let you start with that. I think that they just, you know, I would love to see like a really good movie version of Turn of the Screw. Mm. I think that what it really comes down to is that you have people that they they don't know how to interpret certain times. Like they have this weird pretense about them that everyone's very uptight and everyone's very like, you know, they have this sort of air of it's very fake and they don't approach it with like a human, more realistic aspect to it. Like just because people wore, you know, big outfits and turtlenecks that you know and collars that came up to their you know chins doesn't mean that they like couldn't joke around once in a while yeah you know actually it makes me think of and this isn't horror but um like the the new wit stillman love and friendship oh movie, yeah like you know what was good about that is that he treated them like humans oh it's tremendous he kept the same dialogue that's my that's the best movie of the year for me it was it was just like that's what we need though that's what we need i think in this sort of gothic horror stuff like mm-hmm. don't just because they're wearing some frou-frou outfit doesn't mean that they don't still you know have emotions and they are Absolutely. not just like stiff upper lip british and even the stiff uh, the stiff upper lip british types uh, are still like hiding stuff you know like just like yeah. there has to be some depth so when you treat it as a sort of one you know this sort of flat character where like well all he does is walk around and look important. Then, like you, you've you've dropped the ball, you know. Yeah, a gothic horror that used Whit Stillman's love and friendship as like a benchmark of like how the performances should be and certain other elements. I think that would be tremendous. I, th- I think that's a great starting point. Also, I would say that um, I really like the Jane Eyre adaptation, the Kari Fukunaga one from I guess 2011. I thought that was really great. The one with Fassbender. Still not enough people have seen that one, I I guess. But definitely scary moments in it because Jane Eyre, of course, has kind of unnerving... miserable life. <laughs> yeah, and has unnerving moments that you can kind of heighten in a film version. There were definitely moments in in the Jane Eyre adaptation, the, the Fukunaga one, where you're wondering how horror is this going to get? You know, you're wondering, like, what's going on here? Like, even if you know the story, you're like, are they going to do something with the... Like, what, what are they going to... How are they going to do this? I thought that was tremendously done. I thought in particular the visuals were were extraordinary. Um, I mean, if you're familiar with Fukunaga as far as True Detective Season 1 and you haven't seen Jane Eyre, you really got to see that. Uh, That and also Sin Nombre, his first film. Tremendous, gorgeous visuals. A lot of the the great visual touches that you appreciate in, in True Detective Season 1 just serving a different type of story but great all great all great movies you know the jane air one the uh sin nombre and then of course uh beast of no nation which you liked a lot generally yeah, i love that it was wonderful yeah he's i mean he's bad in a thousand carrie fukunaga it's so weird to me that like they they took it away from him it's like <laughs> if you're gonna give something to somebody He's the guy to give something to, it feels like. You know, True Detective, Jane Eyre, Sin Nombre, Beast and No Nation. Why not just, even if you had doubts, even if you were like, eh, I don't know if he'll pull it off, just give him the chance. 
It's so fucking weird that they took that away from him. Like, even if you don't know what the fuck he's talking about as far as how he wants to do it, just fucking, like, fucking Donnie Darko kid, you know, Richard Kelly, they gave him Southland Tales. I doubt any of the, you know, the studio execs knew at all what he wanted to do with it or anything. And we're just like, you know what? Donnie Darko did well. Let's just let him play. I why wonder can't if he's fucking, difficult. I wonder, like, I feel like I've heard fucking, those rumors. Yeah, but see, I, I, I was hearing those same things for sure. But then you look at True Detective season two, which is just oh, fucking garbage. <laughs> and you're wondering, well, maybe it's the other guy that's the fucking asshole. Right. You know, it's like uh, there are two sides to every story. Maybe Fukunaga is cool as shit. And maybe that other guy was a fucking dick. No, I'm open to it. Because <laughs> when it was left to uh, dick balls hands, like it, the fucking show sucked. So who's really doing the work there? Yeah, so I, I'm erring on the side of Fukunaga is like, he, he's too good for the system. So we know? got Whit Stillman directing, we got Fukunaga DP. Yeah, no, I would say Vice Fukunaga directing, a Whit Stillman script. Oh, okay. And Whit Stillman actors too. I, I think Kate Beckinsale, just fucking give her something else. I think, you know, there's been so many of these movies where they focus on like the depth of the monsters you know, like life and the sort of like, but he's a monster, but he has feelings, but they mm-hmm. never do that about the people. Yeah. It's like, maybe if you treat everyone like, like, like maybe the person that's screaming because they saw a monster isn't such a shallow bitch, you know, like, I, I think that's what annoys me. It's like, they're not realistic. You know, if- I think Beckinsale in there, cause she's done it already with love and friendship, which I, I honestly think she should win an Academy Award for She won't, but I think she should. You got that. You got Throw Fastbender in there. Just I, I'm fine with just That's fine. compiling yeah. <laughs> it with people that did it well in other areas. Like I'm fine with that blatant a hodgepodge of just like, all right, this worked there, this worked there. Let's just put it all together and we'll make a nice gothic horror movie. So that's it. That's where I would go with it. I would say. I you know I feel like we're we're close hopefully to to something like that happening anyhow because there seems to be this focus on stuff like True Detective that is getting more into this sort of horror. Uh, you know, but with emotion and depth and people, kind of thing. people and, adored love and friendship. I, I haven't oh, yeah. encountered one person who had a bad thing to say about that movie. I think it, it's, oh, it's so it's so like compact and just good yeah. and enjoyable and real. It makes you, you know, it's like the anyone who never understood, you know, what was good about these books, just see that movie. It's like here, here's a great interpretation of like, if maybe the language was tripping you up and you just couldn't un- feel, you couldn't feel the human presence behind it. You know, it's like seeing people on do you know perform Shakespeare on stage versus maybe like reading it in junior high. <laughs> right, sitting in a fucking fluorescent I, lit right. like classroom where like the heat's on too high or or whatever, and like staring at those fucking like dirty pages on your desk, and it's like right. I, I can't fucking make head t- heads or tails of this, but and, seeing it performed well, yeah, it, it makes such a fucking world of difference. And I'm not even a huge Shakespeare fan, just to also further drive the knife into John's back in this episode. Right. <laughs> but you know, like it's just when you see it done well, you're like, oh, okay, I get the appeal of it. You know, yeah. like even if when you were reading it, you were like, yeah, I can understand it, but like it's just fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, I want to see things, you know, done well. I I think especially when it comes to plays, it's very hard to judge it on the page. You know? Oh, it's impossible. It, it's, it, it really is. There's so much barrier, you know, it, it, you can barely, like you have to almost have a familiarity with how it can be done well or have that voice in your head and that uh, delivery in your head before you even sit down to read it. Like 
even just a microcosm of this, I was never a fan of the Dilbert comics at all. Like I never got it. I, I have no interest in like office stuff other, aside from like the British office and office space or whatever. But with the fact that Scott Adams has been in the news so much lately talking about politics and talking about persuasion, etc. I've heard his voice so many times in the last like couple weeks that, that I like pulled up like a Dilbert comic. I was like, I'm just going to look at some fucking Dilbert. And I heard his voice for every single fucking speech bubble. And I finally made heads or tails of like the patterns of speech of Dilbert and like the delivery that is expected, I suppose, <laughs> because I, I had heard his pattern of speech so much that I was sitting down, I was reading Dilbert. I was like, I'm enjoying this. I want to see What's you do this with, with Garfield and Kathy. Yeah. But I <laughs> see with Garfield, I have Lorenzo Music's voice. I know he was stuck a, he, in God my bless, head. R.I.P. There's nothing else that that is Garfield for me. I'm sorry, not Bill Murray with the fucking tale fuck, of fuck Bill Murray. tale of two kitties shit. Fuck that, <laughs> Lorenzo Music. That's Garfield's voice for me. Man. Yeah, he he and he got it. He nailed it. But uh, yeah, it's so Anyhow, weird. Gothic horror. <laughs> Scott Adams's voice, man. It, it's it's my way into Dilbert. Something clicked. I was like, I get the rhythm of this now. I get, I get the fucking, I, I get it, man. But gothic horror. I think, I think we just made a pretty damn good gothic horror movie. I think we're we've assembled it. Uh, I, yeah, well. I'm ready to go see it. <laughs> I want to see it. So uh, hopefully that was sufficient for you, Mister Fan. And uh, that about wraps it up, I guess. Uh, happy Halloween because this is coming out on Halloween. Oh boy! You're, you're listening to this on Halloween. And uh, we want to wish you all a very happy spooky, Halloween. A spooky day. Yeah, if you, uh, you know, if you watch some good stuff, please let us know on Twitter or uh, call us 718-395-9711. Tell us about your Halloween. Tell us what you did. Tell us what you watched. Tell us if you watched anything that we're talking about today, etc. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, happy, happy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye.